Every time I sing that song, Come Thou Fonts of Every Blessing, I'm often reminded of the Israelites' struggle in the relationship with God, which they continue to struggle throughout their history, throughout the Old Testament, as they worship God and there always comes a point in time in their uh, nation that they start to drift away from God and they have to set aside, they have to return back to God by setting aside their their idols and things of that sort in order for them to return to God and to be strengthened by God once more. I myself struggle with these things, with my personal relationship with God over the years. Many times I also too drift away from God and many times I have to repent and put away my idols also to return to God. And I'm sure that many of us as we said on this journey of faith with our Lord Jesus Christ, that we struggle with the same thing. Just this, it's, it's always a struggle. And yet, in our struggles, we realize that God is with us because every time we fall, he's always there to pick us up. It is evidence that God will never forsake us. And that's one of the evidence of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to know that even if, if you fail a thousand times, that God will always be there to catch you and he will always lift you up, just as he did to the Israelites, as I experienced in my own personal life. And I'm sure that many of you have also experienced that in your own personal lives. We've been talking about this topic of discipleship here for this past month or so. And so I'm going to con- continue on this. And so this is more of a course than it is a sermon. It's more of a teaching time than it is a preaching time. And so as we discussed about this, we had to just kind of define what discipleship means. And we realize that discipleship is a process in which the Holy Spirit works. It is not a process in which the pastor works. It's not a process in which we work ourselves, but it is a process that must involve the Holy Spirit. He is the one that takes charge. He is the one that leads us. And I cannot emphasize that enough for us, is that we must realize the Holy Spirit's role in our faith. He is the one that is with us today. He is the one that's living with us, revealing truth to us, teaching us. And he works through the inspired scriptures, through related materials to help us understand the scriptures, and also through spirit-empowered believers to lead individuals to Christ, build them up in Christ, and to equip them for effective, lifelong ministry for Christ. And this is what what discipleship is all about. It is a process, and it is not so much a program, although many times we use programs to achieve this process, but the purpose is not to focus on the program, but the process and the people that are involved within that discipleship process. Last week, we said that discipleship must start in the home. It must start in the home. And I understand that some of us felt that, how does some of us question whether or not this relates to us? Because as a congregation, we are an older congregation. But as we said at the beginning of this course, that discipleship is not only for a couple of people in the church, but discipleship is for all of us. It's all of our responsibilities when it comes to discipleship. And every single week, we get about 20 children up here during the monk service, every single week sitting up here with me. And those children are not just the children of the monk congregation or the monk ministry, but those children are also our children. And their parents, many of whom 
have been taught by many of you in Sunday school classes. Many of them who are now, you know, they have their own families, but they grew up here in this church. They are too your children. And so we are responsible for teaching them and helping them and encouraging them and letting them know that discipleship must start in the home. And that's some, and that's why it's related to us. That's why I wanted to share this with us is that discipleship is something that must start in the home. That's part of our responsibility as a church. And so this week, we are going to go into the topic of being crucified with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start off with the main Bible verse for this um, course here. And that main Bible verse when we read at the beginning of this course was from Luke chapter 14, verse 27 through verse 33. And it says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I want us to think about that. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Because these are the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. These are words that were, were spoken by Jesus Christ. Many times when we think about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we think about going to church on Sundays. And we think that's enough. As long as I just do a little prayer and say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, and as long as I just go to church on Sundays, then that makes me a disciple. But Jesus Christ says something more than that. His very own word says that we must carry our cross. And unless we are willing to carry our cross and suffer and die and be crucified with Christ, that there is no way, there is no way we can become his disciple. And then it goes on to talks about those who want to build a tower and, and a king going to war. But, you know, the whole point of what he's saying is that you really must take this. You must really consider the cost. You must count the cost of being my disciple to see if you are truly willing to follow me. If you're truly willing to carry your cross. And so that's the whole point of him using these two uh, illustrations to teach us is whether or not we are truly willing to carry our cross. And so as we come to this Bible verse here in Galatians chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 5 here, Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul himself just defines to us what it means to carry our cross. And from verse 24 through verse 25, he says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so to carry our cross means that we must be willing to die to the, the passions and the desires of the flesh. That we're, we must be willing to die with Jesus Christ, be nailed with Jesus Christ upon that cross. I've said this many times that even in our baptism, even in our baptism, we realize that that, that baptism represents our death in Jesus Christ. When we are put in the water, it represents our death with Jesus Christ. It represents that we are willing to die with Jesus Christ. And as we are lifted up from the water, as we're lifted up from the water, it shows a new birth to us. And so the, the Apostle Paul explains this clearly. And he goes in verse 25 and says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
And then he defines what exactly these things are. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to verse 21, the things of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, uh, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those who does such things, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says, the things of the spirits are these. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, these are the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the context of the scripture, when it talks about self-control, it always talks about self-control in the context, in the context of sexual impurity. So we must be self-controlled within that context. But this is what the Apostle Paul is defining here for us, teaching us what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. He's teaching us what it means to carry our cross and to crucify the flesh. And so today we must ask ourselves, can, are we committed to discipleship? Can we as a church, can we be committed to, the, to discipleship, to disciple making? Are we committed to teaching our children about the Word of God, about the truth of the Word of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so if we're committed, we need to understand that it requires change, that discipleship is going to require change. It's also going to require a vision for discipleship. We have many kids here. We don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose our 20 children that are here. We don't want to lose our youth. And we we get about um, 10 youth you know, when they have a meeting or things of that sort. We don't want to lose our youth. So we need to have a vision for these things. You know, many times that they, they take trips and things of that sort, I want to encourage us to travel with them, those of us who can, to be there with them. I mean, the gen- general rule for the youth is always one adult per ten youth. But, you know, we can always provide more than that. If we can do one adult per four or five youth, that would be a great benefit to our youth, just to be there with them, just to be able to mentor them, hang out with them. I know they have a lot of energy, and a lot of times, you know, following them around, it's not the easiest thing. I went, went with them down to Sunsplash, and I lost them after five minutes. <laughs> but it's always a good thing to just spend time with them and build a relationship with them so we can mentor them in the faith. And so it requires change. It requires vision requires a process, okay? We need to understand what, exactly what kind of process we will be using in order for us to uh, disciple those in our church. Requires resources. Also requires planning. And last but not least, it requires time. And so this week, I'm not going to go into the details of each of these, but I will make a um, quick mention of it. And so what is the change that we need to do? The change is that we need to become a focused, a people-focused ministry. It is a ministry that is focused on developing people. It is not a ministry that is focused on developing programs, but it is a ministry that is focused on developing people. And so we must be able to develop them up to the point in which they will take over our jobs, our duties, our positions in the church. I told the Hong congregation this morning that my job is to make, you know, to, to, to train you, to mentor you up to the point in which one of you will, will grow, will grow to become a pastor for our United Methodist Church. 
And if I cannot do that, then I have failed as your pastor. If I cannot raise any pastors here in this church, if I cannot raise any ministers, any missionaries here in this church, then I have failed in my discipleship of this church. And that's my duty, is to be able to, to help us, to be able to encourage us, to be able to disciple us, to mentor us up to the point in which we'll be le- raising up leaders, pastors here in our church, that they can go out there and start working for the conference, start working on, at the many different churches that we have around here in our conference. There's so many churches without any pastors. Many churches just use, they, many churches without pastors, so they just use lay, lay people as, you know, just to preach to them. And so we can use pastors here in our conference. We can use pastors here in our denomination throughout the United Methodist Church. We can use them. Not only that, we can use pastors throughout, throughout all of our, you know, all of our different denominations, Christian denominations. You know, it doesn't mean that if you're, you're trained here in the United Methodist Church, then you are stuck here in the United Methodist Church and you're not allowed to go anywhere, anywhere else. If God shall call you out of the United Methodist Church to go join a different denomination and to lead them to Jesus Christ, that is absolutely fine. But these are visions that we must have, and these are things that we must be willing to do. Me as the pastor, I must be willing to train somebody so that they will grow grow in their faith up to the point in which they can take over for my position so I can stay home, right? And you, you, whatever position that you may hold in the church, maybe you're the lay leader, maybe, maybe you're the SPRC chair, maybe you're, you're the trustees chair, you know, whatever position you may hold in the church. Are you looking for somebody in this church that you're training them up to take over for your position so that you can move on to other things, so you can move on to focus on something else? And that's what it means to become a people-focused ministry, is to, to really focus on developing our people here in this, this church. And I know Patty's been trying to get the, the kids to come here and play music. And so maybe one of, one of these days, one of them might grow up to take Patty's place, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things is we want them to learn music. And so we want to teach them. You know, we want to teach them about these things. And sometimes it's difficult. A lot of times you want, you want to teach them. They show no interest. They don't want to come, right? But we continue to encourage them to come. You know, Friday nights I'm here with the youth. Friday nights I'm here with some of the, the monks. And, you know, some weeks I get, you know, a, a lot of people. Other weeks I get one person. Other weeks it's just me and my wife. And we just sit here and we, I just play good, the guitar. My wife and I, we just sing. It's okay. But we must continue to be that example for them. And I know, I know that, you know, Patty and I, we've been trying to get the monks and, you know, some of the kids to, be, to have to show more interest in music, and it's been kind of hard, you know, kind of difficult doing that. But we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to encourage them to do it, you know. And so it's something that we must really focus on. Is we want to become a people-focused ministry on developing people, not so much on just developing programs, but developing people, teaching them. What are some, what is the vision the vision is to produce healthy disciples who passionately desire to reproduce themselves and others. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And so the discipleship process is never over. It is not over until you're able to train somebody who's able to go out and train somebody else. Okay? And so that is the, the process in which we do discipleship. So if I was able to teach somebody to become a pastor... I still need to continue to mentor him and help him until he can go out and teach somebody else to become a pastor also. 
That is the discipleship process that we must use. That's the discipleship process that I used in my old church to develop our praise and worship team. We developed, you know, for, for so long, we've been there together for about 20 years, we, we never had a praise and worship team. And so we had to gather a lot of our youth and young couples together, and we have to share with them exactly what our vision is, what we're going to do. And I, I tell them, I'm going to teach you how to play the guitar, I'm going to teach you how to play the piano, I'm going to teach you how to play the drums, I'm going to teach you how to play music, teach you to sing. But you have to promise me one thing. Once you learn these things, you have to go and teach somebody else. Because me, by myself, I can't teach everybody in the church. I can't. And so if I teach you these things, you must promise me. I don't require anything from you. I don't even require you to pay me anything. I'm willing to sacrifice my time to be with you. The only thing that I require of you is that you are willing to go out and teach other people once I've taught you. And so today, I've left the church for, 20, uh, for 10 years, since 2010, 2009, 2010. And they're still using the very same process to teach many of their little children to do the very same thing. And so if I, when I go back over there, I don't even know the musicians anymore because many of the ones that I taught, they've all gone off to college, got married. And I go see many of the new musicians, many of the new youth that are leading worship, I don't even know who they are anymore. They don't even know who I am anymore either, but that's okay. They're, they still continue to worship God. And that's what we need to do, is we need to have this vision to produce healthy de- disciples who passionately desire to reproduce themselves and others. And that is our vision, that is our goal in discipleship. And so what is the process that we use? The process is this. The first step is always to win people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will go into more detail about these, this process later on, but just I just want to kind of um, point them out for us today. So the first thing is to win people to a personal relationship with Christ. And then it is to build them, build them up with the foundational truth of the faith. And then to discover what their gifts are and to provide the tools for them to be able to go out and serve. Many times we build people up, but we never ask them to serve. Okay, so they are a bunch of people sitting in the church with all this knowledge, but they never get to use all this knowledge. So it's like, you know, it's like somebody who eats all the time but never goes and goes and exercise, right? So they're just sitting there all the time, so they're not healthy. They're not healthy disciples anymore because we just give them all these knowledge and we never use them for anything. We never help them identify their gift. We never ask them to do anything in the church. We never equip them. We never provide the, the tools for them to serve in the church. And so all they do, what do they, what do they end up doing once they gain all this knowledge and we have nothing for them to do? They sit in the church and they start arguing with us. Right? Many of them, they, they sit in the church and they start arguing with us because they have all these knowledge and we're not using them. And then eventually when they start arguing with us, we kick them, we kick them out of the church. We remove them from the church. And they go and they start their own church and we say, you know, these people right here, they're, they're, they are rebellious, they are a, re, a rebellious people, right? But in reality, it's not that they are rebelling against us, but because we have taught them so much, we've built them up with, with, uh, with all these truths that they need to go out and actually put, you know, implement that. They need to go out and actually serve God, and we never provide them the opportunity to do so. And so, naturally, naturally, the way that they, they, they're, the only way that they're going to be able to exercise these gifts, these knowledge, is many times to rebel against us. And we don't realize that. 
And so that's what we need to do. Once we build them up with all these foundational truths, is that we must equip them. We must find a way for them to serve in the church. And many times what we often do, too, is we don't build people up and we, we just start having them serve in the church, too, so they don't have any foundation in their faith. And that's a problem in itself also. But then let us remember that the first step is to win them to Christ. The second step is to build them up for the faith. This is kind of just teaching them about the foundational truth, you know. And then after that, we equip them and we ask them to go out. We provide them opportunities to serve. And once we provide them this opportunity to serve, then they will multiply. You know, they'll be able to go out and make more disciples for us. And they, they will develop and they will become mature as a leader. The only way they're going to become mature as a leader is if we ask them to serve. Okay, if we just keep them sitting in the church, just sitting in the pews forever, they're never going to gain that experience to mature as a leader. And so we must encourage them to, to um, serve, and as we encourage them to do so, then they will be able to develop as leaders and be able to go out there and reach out to more people and to lead them to Jesus Christ. Our, our purpose here is not to keep people in the pews, okay? Our purpose in discipleship is not to get people to just come here and sit in the pews, but our purpose in discipleship is to get our people out of here, okay? We want, to, we want to get them out of here, out into the real world, to serve in that real world. That is our whole purpose, to multiply, and that we need to send them. We need to send them, have them go out and reach people for Christ. Now, as United Methodists, as you, as you look at these five steps in the process, which step do you think we are strongest at, and which step do you think we're weakest at? Any answers? Any, anybody want to give, give their own personal opinion on this? Anybody? My personal opinion of this is, I, as I've been here in the Methodist Church for the past four or five years or so, I think we as United Methodists, we are very strong when it comes to sending people, right? Whenever there's an issue, when, whenever there's a natural disaster around, we're always sending people out into the world. We're very strong at that. We have, right, we're very strong in that. But we're weak when it comes to winning people for Christ, huh? We're weak when it comes to evangelism. We're weak when it comes to that part. And so these are things that we need to focus on that, that requires all five of these. Because if all you do is keep sending people out, you're going to empty your pews. <laughs> right? If that's all we do, just send people out, you know, our pews are going to empty up in the long run. And so we need to be able to do all five steps in order for us to re remain strong as a church. And so, like I said, I'll go into more details with this. And so what are the resources, okay? Many times we say, well, isn't this the pastor's job? Isn't discipleship the pastor's job? Well, not exactly. Not exactly, because the scriptures teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, says that Christ himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? To equip his people, okay? To equip his people for works of ministry. So what is his people, what are his people supposed to do? They are supposed to serve, right? And so the pastor's job and the apostle's job, the prophet's jobs, their job is simply to teach us, to equip us, to give us the opportunity to serve. And so many times we misunderstand this and we think that it's the pastor's job to do everything and it's our job to just come sit in the pews to listen to the pastor, but that is not the case at all when we refer back to the scriptures. The pastor's job is to teach us, to equip us, to get us working. 
And it is our job to go out there into the world, and, and it is our job to serve the world, to serve the churches, to serve the world. And so the resources that we need is each and every single one of you, first and foremost. We need each and every single one of you to have a passion for discipleship. We need our entire congregation, which includes the Hmong congregation, to have a passion for discipleship, a passion especially for our young people. Yet in the scriptures, we always have generational discipleship. One generation teaches the other. As an older congregation here in the Anglo congregation, we have the opportunity to really mentor our young Hmongs, such as Calm and Solomon, who are younger, tracing them. We have that opportunity to really mentor them and help them serve. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't exactly have to serve anymore, but we can give them ideas, encourage them, give them advice on what they can do. And so this is part of that mentoring discipleship process. And so the resource in the church is each and every single one of us. We are responsible for this, and we should take upon this. And so what is the plan? The plan is to continue to observe. And I've been observing our church for the past few years since I've been here. To observe the church, see what our strengths and our weaknesses are. To kind of to evaluate us. I know the SPRC evaluate me every single year, but I also evaluate you also. And so I know where, where we are at in terms of our faith, in terms of the way that we do discipleship, in terms of the way that we do worship, in terms of the way in which we communicate between each committee. Some of these things I have to keep to myself because, you know, it's, you know if, if I say it out there, you know, some of you might be offended by it, but I understand that there's some difficulties that we have. There's some tensions that we even have between our committees. And sometimes it makes our communication difficult. And so it's my job to try to find a way for us, to, to encourage us to communicate in a more positive way. It is my job, along with Psalm and Alma, who are your um, church council chairs, to come up with ways how, as to how we can build a better relationship between all the leadership within our church. That's what, something we need to sit down and talk about. Maybe, maybe we need to take all the chairs out on a, on a camping trip or something like that, spend some time together, maybe build some kind of relationship. Things like, thi- like this are things that we need to explore. You know, take all of our leaders out to, to some kind of retreat or something like that, build relationship between us so that we can encourage a better uh, communication between all of us. And so these things are things that that I have to observe, I have to evaluate, and identify. need to identify those people in the church who who have the gifts to serve. And what are those gifts? And then we need to provide training and teaching for us. And then the final step is always to implement those things. And we're always constantly doing this over and over again. We might implement something, it might not work, so we might have to start over again. And so these are, these are the plans. And so how long do we need? How long would this take? Well, we have to ask ourselves this. How long did the Israelites spend in the wilderness? How many years? Forty years. So it takes as long as we need. It took the Israelites 40 years. It took them 40 years. They were supposed to go to the promised land, but, you know, they, they were rebellious people just like us, just like me, just like you. We are a rebellious people. We just like to rebel against God. We like it our own way, right? And so that's just the way we are. This is it's natural. You know, it's nothing to be shameful about. It's just the way we are. And so it takes time for God to really uh, work with us, just as it takes time for God to work 
with the Israelites. But after 40 years, he was able to lead them into the promised land, into Canaan. And so how long is it going to take? Well, I don't know, but it's going to take as long as we need. You know, it may take one year, it may take 20 years, it may take 40, 50 years. We might not see it happen in our time, but maybe in the next generation or something of that sort. But it is going to take time. And so that's something that we must be patient with we, as long as we, we're committed to it. That we must understand that it's going to take time. And so we will continue next week. Or not next week, because next week we're doing the renewal of the vows, right? Because you guys didn't want to hear me preach anymore. So we're doing the renewal of the vows. And so we'll be doing that. And then, you know, the following week we'll continue on this, okay? And so thank you so much. And I pray that we will continue as a church to be uh, committed to discipleship.